Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. Welcome back. In the first part of our series, we explored the history of Guantanamo Bay, including the centuries-long obsession that so many foreign powers have had with controlling it. And as we said in our previous episode, for most of the world today, the word Guantanamo no longer describes just that southern bay and harbor area in the nation of Cuba. The word instead means one and one thing only, the world's most notorious prison. So, now we're diving into the deep water. What's going on in Gitmo? Here are the facts. So, for many, many people in the U.S. and across the planet, this detention center occupies a strange, nebulous, dodgy legal space. Officially, it opened as a temporary facility, and the first 20 people detained there 
when we hear them called detainees all the time in the news, they were transported there on January 11th in 2002. Eventually, over the next few years, hundreds of prisoners from multiple countries would find themselves at Getmo. All in all, uh, there have been around 780 detainees held at Getmo at some point since it opened. And currently, as we record this, there are 39 detainees still held there, many of whom have never been charged with a crime. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, remember from our last episode, that's after the 1990s when uh, Haitian refugees were kept there, as well as a few other people were kept there, specifically in Camp X-Ray that we're going to be talking about. Well, Camp X-Ray is one of the places that we're going to be talking about, but what we're refer- referencing right now as part of Gitmo is Camp X-Ray, this outdoor cage-like thing. And after the attacks on New York, Pennsylvania, the Pentagon in September of 2001, the Bush administration, Bush Jr., by the way, uh, launched a what they called the War on Terror so starting in 2002, the Guantanamo Bay Detention Camp, which is often simply referred to as Gitmo, was constructed in several stages. It's a bit, uh, it's a bit misleading maybe for some people because Guantanamo Bay, the detention camp, is part of the larger naval operation and the camp itself is actually several different camps, some of which have closed, uh, some of which are more transparent than others. Uh, camp X-Ray, which you just mentioned, Matt, uh, is now closed. This was that camp with the chain link fences. This was, uh, this was the site of the photographs that sparked international outcry and prompted the U.S. public to ask some very difficult questions about, you know, what what the ultimate end of this enterprise would be. But there were other camps, too. Yeah, that's right. Camp X-Ray was closed, but it was replaced by Camp Delta, which had some sub-camps within it. Camp Echo, Camp Iguana, which was uh, another very controversial site. In 2002, this camp actually held children detainees. And then you had the super luxurious sounding Camp Platinum. But I, I have a feeling it wasn't as uh, fancy as it might sound. Um, and and, oh, and camp- just to mm. go, stay on here for one second, you'll see videos online of subsections of Camp Delta uh, referred to as like Site 4, Site 5, things like this. You can find that specifically in a Vice documentary that was made in 2014. Uh, that's where you may see that directly, where you actually see the sign that says Site 5. Yeah, these are references. The names can become a little bit confusing because uh, it refers to things like one through six detention areas, right? And and we'll we'll see how those divisions work. But, Noel, I, I agree. I suspect you're right about Camp Platinum uh, because these camps are these camps are not places you want to live or hang out. They're not created equal, and they have different levels of amenities or comforts. And when we say amenities, we don't mean super posh stuff like jacuzzis, obviously. Uh, these detainees are housed in different areas depending upon their level of cooperation with guards and interrogators. And they also clearly differ in their level of transparency. 
Until 2011, the U.S. public did not know about something called Camp 5 Echo. Camp 5 Echo is not the same thing as Camp 5. See how these names can be confusing. Camp 5 Echo was what was called a, what is called a disciplinary block. But then there was also Camp Echo, right? Mm Mm-hmm, yep. And there was also Camp Strawberry Fields, Camp No, the camps go on. Uh, Camp Strawberry Fields sounds magical. Can I can I go there? No, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't think I want to go there. Um, no, it's true. And and this is all wrapped up in the like you said, Ben. This idea of the war on terror, which we'll get more into it. But to me, is always sort of ended up feeling like the war on drugs. You know, it's a never ending war uh, where you never really make a huge dent <laughs> in, in the goal that you've laid out. Yeah, war on an idea uh, is a difficult war to win because it's incredibly difficult, you could argue virtually impossible, to find a clear ending point for a, a conflict with a, a concept, right? Uh, this means that there's not, there's not one nation state that can sign a surrender, right? There are maybe representatives of factions, of groups, who can sign over some cessation of hostilities, but they don't speak for everyone because there's not one person who speaks for the entirety of an idea, nor does that one person speak for every other person's interpretation of that idea. And, you know, there's also a great question. I've raised this question in the past. Um, The answer can be kind of depressing, but how come there aren't more things like a war on illiteracy? How come there aren't things like a uh, <laughs> a war on, you know, uh, easily preventable medical conditions? You know, uh, there was a short-lived war on poverty, but it didn't seem to quite gain as much traction as the national consciousness. And like you said, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the war on terror in a moment. For now, let's focus on the arguments for and the arguments against the extraordinarily unusual detention camp in Guantanamo Bay. So multiple presidential administrations have disagreed on the status of this area, gone back and forth on whether to close the the prison. Um, uh, You know, uh, former President Barack Obama, in fact, campaigned on the idea of closing Guantanamo Bay detention camp. And then later, uh, quite recently, the Biden administration has made some of the same signals. And then other uh, presidential administrations said, not only do we need to keep it open, like former President Donald Trump, but we need to add more detainees. In fact, if I recall correctly, his exact line was, we need to load it up with more bad dudes. And as we record this, the controversy continues. It continues because multiple human rights groups and journalists and other investigators and uh, representatives of other countries have pointed to Gitmo as an ongoing example of human rights abuses. And they're asking questions like, they're, they're posing questions like, um, if the U.S. presents itself as a champion of human rights, then why would it knowingly and over decades uh, run uh, an operation like this? Like, why, why is, first, not just why does this exist, but why is it the U.S. that is, the, why is it the U.S. that created it? And 
the their primary controversies hinge on things like torture, right? Or what are what were euphemistically referred to as enhanced interrogation techniques? Uh, if you want to hear more about that, uh, do check out our earlier episode. Does torture work? It's not exactly a walk through strawberry fields, but it's important to be aware of the dilemmas inherent in acquiring information through through those methods. Uh, Another primary controversy hinges on the very shady legal status of the prison. Again, for the purposes of detainment, the U.S. officially does not consider Gitmo U.S. soil. And it's kind of an odd argument because the Bush Jr., again, for anybody outside of the U.S., it's, it's often, it feels weird to say, yes, this is technically a meritocracy, but this guy's kid became president because his dad was president, whatever. Just to say, we understand how weird that can sound. Anyway, uh, then President Bush Jr. uh, said that detainees in Gitmo, or his administration, rather. Yeah, it's important that it was his administration. Administration, yes. Cheney. Uh, (laughs) Uh, uh, Uh Neocons. Right, right, right. The other president at the time of that administration. Uh, This administration said detainees in Gitmo are not entitled to any of the rights or any of the protections guaranteed under the Geneva Conventions or guaranteed to uh, people in the U.S. system of justice. But at the very same time, they said the U.S. government is still nonetheless treating all detainees consistently with the principles of the Geneva Convention, which is a weird thing to say. It really is. If if anyone out there is interested in those legal arguments and hearing from the horses' mouths, exactly why and how those legal arguments were made. I would highly recommend on Netflix, I believe it's called Turning Point 911. It's a docu-series, multi-part series that goes into that in depth. And again, you can hear you can hear statements from the people who are making those legal arguments um, and and their reasoning behind it. Right. And there's another controversy here which is the cost. From 2002, right, when this started, to 2020, just last year, it has cost the United States government an estimated $6 billion and the yearly cost of imprisoning each individual, just one at a time, is $13 million. That's $13 million a year. According to reporter Carol Rosenberg, who has been on this story since all the way back in 2002, this almost certainly makes Guantanamo, quote, the world's most expensive detention program, which is saying a lot because the human species loves to incarcerate people. Why is it so much more expensive? Is it because of its remoteness and uh, kind of disconnectedness from the rest of the country? Well, they... They can't trade with the country on right. the soil exactly. in which they occupy. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure it makes it a little weird, a little tough to get stuff in when you need it. And additionally, consider, you know, we're talking about um, a unique situation where the military is administering the prison. We're also talking about uh, the legal proceedings that have been ongoing, right? And the arguments, there are arguments, of course, in support of the camp. And the primary one hinges on the idea that if uh, these detainees 
are released, they will immediately return to committing acts of terrorism. This is the argument that won out when the Obama administration used an executive order to call for the closure of the camp on January 22nd, 2009. Spoiler alert, it didn't happen. Let's just talk about that. There were some detainees who were sent away, right? They were transferred to other countries. They were taken out of Guantanamo Bay, but not all of them because old Congress stepped in. So let, let's uh, let's go through that. Yeah, let's see. So um, the closure of Guantanamo Bay was delayed, essentially blocked by opposition from Republicans. And there were some Democrats as well that were against closing it. Uh, and these are you know, Congress people. They argued that the cost of housing the detainees was absolutely worth it because doing so in prisons on U.S. soil would be a threat to national security. So the isolation, the fact that it occupied this weird kind of geographical gray area uh, was a feature, not a bug for these folks. So in 2013, more than half of the camp's 166 detainees, some of whom had already been cleared for release or transferred to other facilities, uh, engaged in a hunger strike to draw attention to the conditions there and to their situation. And we know what happened in response to that, right? The United States government began force feeding the detainees. Right, exactly. And also, uh, there's there's something I don't want us to lose here. The individuals who were undergoing that hunger strike had been cleared, which means yeah. that in the opinion of the U.S. government, they were free to go once there could be fat, once the government could find a place for them to go. And uh, if you fast forward, 2018. Uh, then President Trump, uh, that administration signs an executive order to keep the prison camp open. So domestically, the U.S. has been divided on this. And the, the idea here is there's something about this idea that I, I think we should mention, which is the U.S. prison system in general is not rehabilitative. There are no shortages of stories about people becoming uh, more well-versed in how to commit, you know, insert crime here because of their time in prison, right? And there's a good question. Uh, does the treatment that people undergo, Guantanamo, especially if they're innocent, does it run the risk of radicalizing these individuals? Uh, this, is, this is an open question. But another open question one that is in the news a lot frequently is, okay, these people are held for years without trial in some cases. When will there be a trial? If you, if you go back to the origin story from episode one, this camp was built as a direct response to the attacks on September 11th, and the initial concept was straightforward. The initial concept, the gist of it is, the people responsible for these and other terrorist attacks will be found, apprehended, and undergo a trial, meaning that uh, justice would prevail over chaos and acts of terrorism. But now we see that the detainees in Guantanamo Bay, whatever your, whatever your stance in regards to this is, they do not legally have the rights that a prisoner in the U.S. justice system would, in theory, have. I had to put in theory there because a lot of those rights for prisoners or people who've been incarcerated uh, on paper don't end up 
being implemented in practice. Sure. And I mean, Ben, you say the idea or the question of whether or not prisoners in this situation are further radicalized or hell, even how prisoners here in the United States prison system are when they leave, whether they're rehabilitated or further radicalized, uh, maybe not radicalized in the case of prison, but definitely like it's difficult for them to be reintegrated, let's just say. But I would say, you know, the, the question around Guantanamo, and whether it's radicalizing folks is sort of a open and shut question. I feel like it's very clearly doing that, especially when you're taking someone under false pretenses oftentimes, or, you know, maybe it's in a good faith attempt to uh, solve a problem, but oftentimes people get lost in the shuffle and then you end up with folks, generations of folks who are radicalized. If that happens to their parents or their family or their brother, sister, or whomever. In, in the case of Guantanamo, U.S. constitutional protections, things like due process or habeas corpus, do not apply. So for a quick and dirty explanation, habeas corpus literally translates to have a body of. And this means that if you have someone under arrest, they should be brought before a judge or into court unless there are lawful grounds shown for their detention. So this, it, does that make sense? It, it, the, the purpose of it is to give someone who has been detained a chance to challenge the legality of their detention. Charge me for something, you know? Yeah, off, officer, have I been detained? Okay, why? Okay, oh great. God. I need an attorney because I'm going to get bro? a trial. Am I being detained, bro? Well, well yeah, but it's, I mean, it. That's what that is, right? And it that's, is. Yeah. That's what an individual should have. It is definitely, it would be very weird if someone, you know, a police officer or anyone else just stopped you and made you not go anywhere. You know, there's threat of gun violence if you defy them. Uh, and they won't tell you why you're being stopped. I, I don't know. That's just a, not a good situation. It's a bare minimum for human rights. And the argument is the ends justify the means. And all of that good stuff, but it's pretty clear that people are getting lost in the shuffle and that innocents are absolutely being scooped up and kept uh, without due process, you know, under pretty nasty conditions. Which, again, I would argue could actually make a non-radical person into a radical person. It could make the United States a real quick enemy, right. even if they didn't yeah. feel that way to start. Yeah, that's the point I was making earlier, exactly, because uh, how would it's it's a good question to ask. So what does it mean if you don't have these protections? Well, it means that the government can do things like keep evidence against you secret or evidence just involved in your case secret. And it could take evidence derived from torture and it could hold you if you are a detainee indefinitely. There is no end date to your sentence. So critics, uh, Ben, that yeah. also means there could be no evidence against that's you. That's us because it's a secret. It's a black box. So critics of this arrangement or critics of the, the way it's organized currently maintain, you'll, you'll hear them argue that these military commissions Military commissions, sidebar, are tribunals organized outside of U.S. and international law by the DOD, by the Department of Defense. So critics are saying that these military commissions are explicitly created to evade those normal rules of not just civilian, but military courts. And it may surprise some of our fellow conspiracy realists today to learn that almost two decades later, some of these people in Guantanamo right now 
have never even had a trial. Uh, What are we talking about? We'll tell you after a word from our sponsor. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals. Your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage. Alanis Morissette. Cage the Elephant. Celeste Barber. Dirks Bentley. Janet Jackson. Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma. Sean Paul. Sum 41 and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Here's where it gets crazy. You know what? As a matter of fact, Matt, Noel, before we get to the trial, I think it's important to note that regardless, again, if your stance on prisons in general or on Guantanamo Bay detention camp in particular It's not just human rights groups. It's not just journalists talking about torture at this facility. People who worked there have come forward with the same claims. Uh, This this is something that, you know, for administrations that were very supportive of Guantanamo, uh, this this is at the very least not a good look. In some cases, it's uh, these are damning accusations. Uh, just last year, January 22nd, a guy named James Mitchell, a psychologist and interrogator of prisons at Guantanamo Bay Detention Center, testified about horrific human rights violations that occurred 
at this at this facility. It's, why is Mitchell important? Because he didn't just interrogate prisoners himself. He also created the CIA's post-September 11th interrogation program. And the stuff that he talks about is pretty gruesome. That's right. He described in graphic detail how detainees were tortured while still not being charged with a crime or afforded the, you know, the kind of treatment that even the most heinous criminal uh, would get, you know, on U.S. soil. Torture included the use of tactics like waterboarding, which we know uh, if anyone's seen Zero Dark Thirty or any of these, you know, films that came out around the war on terror, probably seen depictions of that Uh, mock burials. Um, stress positions that's we've seen I believe there are photographs of that from the Abu Ghraib prison scandal as well of folks like you know in these kind of being forced to stand on a very narrow bucket for a very long time or being forced into these very uncomfortable poses uh, all kinds of like deprivation torture in terms of sonic torture all of that kind of stuff uh, and since many of the detainees at Guantanamo were first held in these black sites which we've got a whole episode or, or maybe multiple ones about um, that are created by the CIA that don't officially exist or they might have been held elsewhere by the military, uh, and they were also tortured before being transferred to Guantanamo Bay. There's no official chain of custody, right, or record showing where uh, what happened to them. And they're able to use that legal loophole of Guantanamo not officially being on U.S. soil to justify that, even if that stuff happened elsewhere. It's all very, very slippery. Um, The lawyers involved are all required to sign NDAs, non-disclosure agreements, that prevent them from talking about any uh, claimed act of torture. I go back to that Netflix documentary just because it shows you the exact wording of the these types of enhanced interrogation that they were using and why they were using them, how they got the government to sign off on it. And uh, again, just watch it if you can. What was that one famous line? Like, I see no problem with this. I regularly stand at my desk for hours at a time. Uh, sure. That, that's one you might remember. Um but you've also got the architects, the, the attorneys saying, you know, well, there's a very big difference between attaching electrodes to someone's testicles and shocking someone like that or just, you know, slapping someone really hard in the face. It wasn't that bad. It was, you know, it had to be an open palm. You can only be certain a certain number of inches away when you slapped them, you know, and just like, whoa, the banality of evil. Right. And then the idea that overall uh, in the in the scheme of the greater good doing these things while uh, unethical in the moment will result in saving people's lives. That's the argument. And that's something that a lot of people uh, spend a lot of time debating. Again, I think we mentioned this in our first part of the series. Please do check out the episode on whether or not torture works. It's an important question. And uh, you may be surprised by the dilemmas involved. The ticking time bomb scenario that is so often um, glorified in popular film and fiction doesn't occur as, as often as maybe screenwriters would like you to believe. Please remember, a lot of those folks are just trying to sell a film, not to tell you the truth. So these black sites, when we did a previous episode on black sites, they have a similar list of advantages 
right? Because they are not, again, they're not on U.S. soil. They're not officially acknowledged. They don't have oversight from the usual institutions that would be responsible for those oversights. So it may interest some of our fellow conspiracy realists to know that the U.S. government has, in some cases, acknowledged that what took place was torture. Uh, one example would be Abu Zubadiah, who is a Palestinian man who was captured by U.S. forces in Pakistan, and then he was tortured in multiple times in a series of CIA black sites. And this is before black sites were public knowledge, by the way, uh, or confirmed. Another example is Mohammed al-Qahtani, who was a Saudi national. Uh, his military charges were actually dismissed because he and his legal team had made the case he had been tortured at Guantanamo. So his military charges are dismissed, you might say. Where is he now? He is still in prison. Uh, and like Al-Qahtani, in a very real way, the world is still waiting to see what happens next. Just a few days ago, on September 13th of this year, the current judge in the trial of the five men detained who are accused of plotting the attacks on September 11th, this judge said that the actual trial was at least another year away. So at least, that's if everything works out, which historically it never has in this case. The judges won Colonel Matthew N. McCall, and he took over this case just a month ago, just this past August. Right now, he's in the midst of pretrial hearings. And in it is important to note that the coronavirus caused a delay of more than a year and a half. So they're trying to pick up where they left off. But... This He makes a point when he says it's going to take a while to get here because, again, these are not the types of trials you would expect to see if you were in any U.S. court. Detainees do not have a choice of lawyer. They are required to use the lawyers assigned to them. They are not allowed, to your point, Matt, to see the evidence against them, or not all of it. And when it comes to a conviction, you only need two-thirds of the jury for the conviction. That's not the way that U.S. courts typically work. Even if you were acquitted, even if you are found not guilty or innocent, your release is still not guaranteed. Well, even, you know, in the U.S., I mean, we hear about people getting public defenders and how that can take a little time and how maybe it's uh, a false equivalency of the idea of everyone gets, you know, the same treatment under the rule of law. Um, that's clearly not the case. There are people that can afford uh, attorneys that are you know, much more likely to get them off or something. Uh, but in a situation like this, when you're a detainee, not only do you not have the choice of an attorney, the option to hire your own attorney, the backlog of the attorneys that you do do have access to can be years, right? To even get like your case heard. I mean, the people don't talk to anybody for years sometimes. Well, it can be, but it generally doesn't take two decades after, you know, a crime. No, that's two decades, but, 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 but it can be years without having any kind of resolution or any kind of forward movement in someone's case. We've, I hear all the time about people that have been detained for years without, you know, any kind of hope for uh, uh, exoneration. Well, yeah, but it, the biggest thing here is what Ben said. Yeah, I think the one that's couched in the middle. When you have a trial, your attorney gets to argue against the evidence and the points that the opposing attorney, the prosecution, makes. 
if you're the, on the defense. Yeah, and then the concept of discovery, which means yeah. that you are able to see that evidence. So imagine getting, imagine like worst case scenario, and we're just going with hypotheticals here. Imagine you're innocent and you happen to have a name that is very similar to some, like from the perspective of someone who does not speak your native language, you have a name that looks to them very similar to the name of a known terrorist. You get scooped up. And you're like, what did I do? And they say, you know what you did. You say, no, really, tell me. And they say, oh, no, I'm not going to. But you're going to tell us what you did. And Maybe you you're a random taxi driver that yeah, gets picked up. And you don't know. And maybe you speak to the lawyer. And they say, well, I'm not, I can't tell you the evidence they have against you. You know what I mean? And the taxi driver example, by the way, folks, is a real example that matches reference. So I, I would also like to say this is a little bit of a tangent, but there's a question I've been I've been mulling over recently. If the law is indeed like uh, Guantanamo aside, put that aside for a second. If the law in the US is indeed equal, then why are some lawyers paid more than others? Why are there really expensive lawyers that seem to get even the most, you know, e even the people who have all the evidence stacked against them? Why are those very highly paid lawyers able to get someone off, whereas a uh, less expensive lawyer wouldn't? I think it's a good question. I'd love to hear uh, your perspective, especially if you work in the legal system or if you work as a lawyer or you work in litigation or you work in the criminal justice system. Sure. But just to really quickly put a pin in my point that I was trying to make, um, there are classes of detainees that are referred to as forever prisoners, uh, some of which have never been charged and have been there since 9-11, which has been 20 years now. So uh, it's, it's not uncommon, and um, it's uh, a little bit troubling. It's more than a little bit troubling. Yeah, and we'll, we'll talk – let's talk about that right now, as a matter of fact. I'd like to look into the fate – of the detainees. So there are the reports of torture. This may need to be its own episode. Again, in the meantime, do check out that, that very important question of whether or not torture actually quote unquote works. Uh, part of the holdup on the trial is due to objections by lawyers defending two individuals, Walid bin Atash and Ramsi bin Al-Shib. Uh, these lawyers are challenging the current judge, McCall, and they're saying, hey, are you qualified to reside over these cases? These are death penalty cases. Maybe, and we need you to suspend the proceedings until you're familiar with all the precedent, all the legal proceedings leading up to the time you were given the case in August. Uh, and this includes they argue, the rulings of the three other judges previously involved in the same case. Wait, Record scratch. You heard that right. There have been three other judges before Colonel McCall, none of which actually brought this to trial. None. Colonel McCall is the fourth judge to preside at the Guantanamo court in the conspiracy case against Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, who was the alleged mastermind of the 9-11 attacks, and the four other men who were accused of helping plot those hijackings. And again, those attacks resulted in almost 3,000 people dead in New York and Pennsylvania and at the Pentagon. The most recent detainee to leave got out quite recently, in July of this year. His name, Abdul Latif Nasser. 
He's a Moroccan national, and he had been he was finally he was released this year. Uh, he had been cleared to be released four years ago in 2016. He was held for 19 years. He was not, and now never will be uh, charged with a crime. So, what does this mean for the future of Guantanamo Bay? And a pause for a word from our sponsors, and we'll be back. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward, inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. And we've returned. So several times in these episodes, you've heard us talk about uh, people like Abdul Latif Nasser, who were, uh, who were cleared for release. Uncle Sam was ready to let them leave Guantanamo Bay. So why do they end up staying there for years? If that is indeed the case, if the government that apprehended you says you're good to go, why are you still stuck there? It's because the U.S. authorities have struggled 
to figure out how to transfer detainees from the base, even when they wanted them to get out. The big stumbling block, there's two big stumbling blocks here. First, there's the problem of getting other countries to guarantee humane treatment. So like if you are, for example, if you, you have been apprehended and you're an Albanian national and the U.S. government says, okay, this person has not committed a crime. We are going to uh, send them away to freedom. Uh, we want to send them to Albania. They can't send them to Albania unless there's an agreement saying we're going to treat them humanely. And then if they try to get a third country to agree to resettle these folks, they have to say that that third country that agrees says not only will we allow them in this country, we will also prevent them from returning to hostile activities against the United States. So you can't just say, you know, here's a plane ticket, go nuts. You have to, you, they have to have a place to go. And so these negotiations can go on for years and years and years after everybody agrees this person could leave. And compounding these complications, let's consider the case of the five Taliban prisoners in 2014 who were transferred to Qatar. Uh, this was an exchange deal. And these happen a lot. They don't always make the news, but they, you'd be surprised how often this happens. Uh, five Taliban-associated prisoners transferred to Qatar in exchange for the release of a U.S. soldier, Bo Bergdahl. And he was held captive in Afghanistan and Pakistan for five years after he deserted the army. So four of those five prisoners who got sent to Qatar have new jobs. They're members of the new Taliban government in Afghanistan. And just this February, the White House announced it's conducting a what they call an internal review of how to close Guantanamo. Not whether to keep it open, but how to close it. And one of the big steps uh, that, you know, people want this closed, one of the big steps they advise taking first is to get rid of the military tribunals and allow the DOJ, the U.S. Department of Justice, to reach plea deals with people who have been accused of crimes, including the men suspected of masterminding 9-11. So how do you, how do you all think that the American public would react to that idea of a plea deal. I would say not well. It would feel that way to me as well. It's just weird because when you make a plea deal, you know that there's evidence against you generally. This not always, but the reason a plea deal happens is because you know it looks really bad. You're probably going to get a super intense sentence, so you take a plea deal in order to lessen that sentence. That's what a plea, plea deal is, right? Right. You agree to plead guilty to some or all of the charges against you in exchange for uh, some leniency in sentencing or a series of concessions. Yeah, so like... <laughs> so like one example would be, um, and this is just a very general example, one example would be um, if you are already in prison for several heinous crimes, right? Uh, and you, and then, you know, you're attached to maybe another murder, or something like that, let's see, multiple, murdered multiple people, then uh, you could make a plea deal to assist in, in solving further murders in exchange for life in prison instead of execution. Like, that's a, that's a very extreme case of a plea yeah. deal. A lot of other plea deals are just with fairly petty crime uh, or smaller, much smaller felonies where it's much... 
it's more effective in getting a case through the system to to have someone accused of something take a plea deal rather than having to go through a full trial, right? So you can get you can it's in this case it's like okay we've done all of this it's been all this time rather than do a full trial we'll just do plea deals. Well, what, doesn't a plea deal often involve giving somebody else up or providing useful information? Uh, Not necessarily. Uh, Not necessarily. It can. But sometimes it's just to move the case through a court, especially in like a petty crime. Like the implication being that uh, if you take this to a jury, uh, then the sentence will reflect that you have inconvenienced the system. And that's like that's uh, where you don't have sufficient evidence. Right, right. Something like that. And that's again, we're not saying that happens all the time, but these are not this wouldn't be new for these to happen. And so the idea of a of a plea deal on the part of people associated with the September 11th attacks, you can see how that seems how that can seem fundamentally deeply offensive uh, to, you know, people whose loved ones died in those attacks or people whose loved ones died as a result of the ensuing wars that followed in the wake of those attacks. And then to get a plea deal from someone who was tortured. And then to get a plea deal from someone who was tortured. So this is just scratching the surface of the current situation. And it remains intensely controversial. Either way you look at it, it remains disturbing for the people, for the survivors of the September 11th attacks and of other terrorist attacks, you can understand how justice, such as it is, seems often to be an ever-moving goalpost. And for critics of the prison and for relatives of detainees who were held there for years without being found, in fact, guilty of any crime, or in some cases without ever being charged for a crime, you can see there's no way to recover the time that was lost. And, you know, don't make any mistake about this. There were innocent people subjected to this treatment. How do we know? Well, we know because of the statements of multiple government officials. In 2009, in fact, a former Bush administration official explicitly, publicly said this is the case. His name, Lawrence Wilkerson, former COS chief of staff to Secretary of State Colin Powell. And he said way back in 2009, that he believed most detainees in Guantanamo Bay should have been released. And when he said this, he noted that he he believed it happened um, not by design, but because U.S. forces were unable to, in his words, distinguish enemies from non-combatants. So now... That's where we are. The world waits. Parts of Guantanamo, both the facility and the legal processing, it's the legal processes it's pursuing, they remain hidden from the public eye. And for some, this is just a necessary evil, and it's committed for the greater good of national security. But for others, it is solid proof that when it comes to Guantanamo Bay, there's something the U.S. doesn't want you to know. So what do you think about this? I mean, it is obviously a very sticky discussion. I mean, there's a lot uh, wrapped up in in terms of human rights violations, in terms of what does it even mean to have a prison located somewhere outside of the jurisdiction of our own country's uh, government. When it's, it's convenient. Very, when it's convenient, exactly. Do as I say, not as I do, when I, when I feel like it. Uh, please let us know. You can write to us on the internet. We are in all of the usual places. 
Yes, you can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. We would like to recommend our Facebook community page. Here's where it gets crazy. But wait, Ben, Matt, Noel, you might be saying, I hate sipping the social meads. I'm a social platform teetotaler. Wherever will I go to reach you? Well, you can give us a good old phone call. That's right. You can talk to us uh, directly from your mouth to our ears via the digital magic, well, the telephonic magic of technology. We have a phone number and everything. Yeah, our number is one eight three three stdwytk You have three minutes to leave a message. Say whatever you'd like. Give yourself a cool nickname. Hopefully not your actual name. That'll keep the anonymity a little higher, the levels of anonymity higher, uh, just in case, you know, somebody wants to pick you up and put you in Guantanamo. Ha, ah, that's not going to happen. By the way, one more recommendation. If you're still listening, check out the Guardian's video, My Brother's Keeper, a former Guantanamo detainee, his guard, and their unlikely friendship. It is a horrifying and heartwarming story about, about two men that uh, share, had some shared experience in bondage. Really great. So leave that message at one eight three three stdwytk Tell us all your stuff. But if you've got too much to say, you can't fit it in that three minutes. Instead, send us a good old-fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iheartradio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. 
Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.